I love this. But at your word, this is good. I will. But at your word, I will. But at your word, I will, Jesus. Well, our will, it's a beast, isn't it? Our will. It's the enemy of self. Me, myself, and I, meology, the doctrine of me. And it roars daily in my life and yours. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you today and we rejoice in your goodness. We rejoice in your grace and your mercy. We rejoice that as Jesus showed us and modeled and lived obedience that we know with a shout of declaration and exclamation that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed. So Holy Spirit, may you move in power as we open your word. Holy Spirit, I pray you're free to move in our midst today. I pray that there is not any quenching or grieving, but hearts that are soft and tender, desiring the pure meat of the Word, knowing that we will be transformed by the renewing of the Word and the renewing of our minds. Lord, we love You and we bless Your name. Lord, may I decrease and You increase. May You just simply hide me behind the shadows of the cross so that all we will see and hear is You, Jesus, and leave here forever changed for Your praise and for Your glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Mark chapter 11, 1 through 11, the ESV translation reads like this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter, you will find a colt a donkey tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. Verse 4, and they went away and they found a colt, a donkey tied at the door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing? 
untying the colt. They told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and and others spread leafy branches that had been cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple, And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the Word of God, and all God's people said, Amen. You know, as we examine this passage from the Word of God, I want us to look at three aspects today that don't always get picked up on. I want you to right now take your Bible and just focus for a moment, just zero in with your, with your notes ready and your mind just looking and longing to drink deeply from the Word. I, I want you to look at verses 1 through 7, and I'm going to read these again, and, and I'm going to point out some things that, that maybe you didn't pick up on, but that are, are mission, mission critical, because this was an entry like no other. This was an entry like no other. How many of you today believe that Jesus Christ is king? Like, if you believe that, just slip up your hand. Do you believe Jesus Christ is king? Like, he's king, amen? Like, he's king eternal. Like, like there's no one else that's king. It's Jesus. Is this really how a king enters? Listen again in your Bible or on the screens. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of His disciples and said to them, Go, i got an assignment for you. Go into the village in front of you and immediately, don't delay, as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Pause there for a moment. That there's instruction here, that there's a direct command, it's very clear, there's no ambiguity here, none whatsoever. And by the way, the colt, the donkey, has never been used. The, the sinless lamb, Jesus Christ, who truly does take away the sin of the world, is going to ride on a donkey, a colt. It's never been used. It's pure. This is the equivalent of of a king not coming in on a chariot and all the pomp and circumstance and the red carpet, but this is like a king riding in on a scooter. That's not what kings do. Kings don't do this. We've got to remember, church, that Jesus' kingdom is out of this world. It's not of this world. The way up is down. You win by losing, you live by dying. That's the biblical narrative of the kingdom of Christ. And he gives these instructions and he says, look, I want you to go do this. 
And so what do they do? Well, look in your Bible, verse 3, if anyone asks you or says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. So what did they do? Well, verse 4, and they went away, and they found a colt tied at the door and outside the street, and they untied it, and, and some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing? Why are you stealing the donkey? And they told them what Jesus had said. But that's a great sermon right there, isn't it? Why are you doing what you're doing? This is what Jesus told me to do. And some of those standing there, as they said these words, when they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and He sat on it. I want you to write down key number one in your notes. Key number one. When Jesus instructs, obey without hesitation. When Jesus instructs, obey without hesitation. Delayed obedience leads to delayed blessing. Delayed obedience leads to delayed blessing right here. Does anyone else read these first seven verses and go, this is really strange? Like, I've read this numerous times, and I still read it and go, this is strange. And it just reminds me that when, when God instructs, when Jesus gives a command, it doesn't always make sense. That there are times in your life when, when Jesus will instruct you to do something, and you have a bunch of people around you saying, don't do that, you're going to need to reject that advice because you need to please God and not man. Aren't you glad these guys obeyed? I know I am. And the thought occurred to me when I was looking at that and thinking through it, that when you think about what God will call you to, not He might, but when you think about what God will call you to when you truly give your life to Him, it's not going to be an easy road. It's going to be a hard road, a difficult path, and there's going to be a lot of setbacks and a lot of things that aren't fair, and it's just kind of how this thing works. But church, I want to encourage you and I today that you talk about not being fair. Not being fair is for an innocent man to get executed on a cross. That's not fair. And you've got to remember that He's going to call you to something that's always bigger than you are. Because if He calls you to something that you can do in your own strength, what's the need for Him? He's always going to be wooing and stirring and calling and drawing because that's what He does to the true believer. It's called the refining process. It's sanctification. It's ongoing change, becoming more like Jesus and He's not looking for me and you to remain in, in the shallow end of the pool, but, but He's asking us to launch out into the deep where, where the miracles happen, where the impossible happens. He's asking the disciples to go in 
and take this donkey. I know it just seems kind of a moot point. There's nothing moot in Scripture. Every word, every word is alive. It's inspired by God. There's nothing moot about this. He's asking them to go take a donkey. It's not theirs. But Jesus, this is so beautiful. You talk about God connecting dots. Even God is so, he's so powerful that he can say, look, guys, I want you to go do this assignment, and I already have the provision waiting for you. It's already there. You just got to go do it. When God instructs you and I to obey, do it now. And so often, that involves confronting sin and dealing with sin. MacArthur said this powerful statement, the church grows proportionally to how well it deals with sin that's within it. If a church is going to grow, it isn't because someone developed a strategy to ignore the problem people, end quote. Are we willing today to do what God is asking us to do? The psalmist said it like this in 119, 16, by the way, Psalm 119 is a short little chapter. Uh, You can memorize it this afternoon. I hasten and I do not delay to keep your commandments. Do you see the heart behind the psalmist? I hasten. There's an urgency. There's a desperation that that I want to obey, that, that I want to walk in obedience. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Continue on with this obedience theme. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Here it is, church. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Let me repeat that again. Just in case you're not clear on this. This is the Bible speaking. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. How do we make that palatable to our society and culture in this day and age? You could say it like this, not everyone who professes the name of Jesus. It's totally possible to profess Jesus and simply be just a responder. The whole point of the gospel is not just to respond to it. The whole point of the gospel is to give your life to Jesus. And right here, this is a warning, this is a warning. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does, the one who obeys the will of my Father, who is in heaven. Then he goes on deeper and goes, wait a minute, I need to make sure I really put a big red bow on this package. 22, on that day, many, Jesus says, many, 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 many will say to me, Lord, Lord, there it is again. They're saying, Master, Master, but they're still running their own lives is what's going on here. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did a bunch of external things. Did we not cast out demons? Sounds amazing, but it's external. And do mighty works in your name? And then Jesus says, 
that I will declare to them. The word declare gives this connotation that there's an emphatic message going forth that has zero ambiguity. He's going to declare. He's going to pronounce on them. He's going to say, I never, I never knew you. It's not that, okay, today I just figured out that I don't know you. He's like, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, you workers of sin. Do you think obedience is a big deal to God? It's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. It's a huge deal because obedience is an outflow of a true conversion. It's just an outflow. It's kind of like this. I've been around pastors all my life, and it's amazing how many you encounter. And they go, man, we're getting a bunch of people to walk aisles, but, but we're having trouble making disciples. And it's kind of like, ding, 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 duh. It's kind of like, come on, chief. Wake up. It's really hard to disciple someone who's not a disciple. It doesn't overly complicated. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's going, look, this is how important your obedience is to me. Aren't you glad that they went? And I can only imagine, like, Jesus gives the command, and they probably, you know, had one of those little sidebar meetings after they left Jesus' presence going, okay, uh, is he okay? Because this is out there. This is a little wild. But that's where God works. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. People want the revival. They just don't want the faith that requires revival. (laughs) Bring revival, Jesus! (laughs) But don't get us out of our comfort zone. Because that would be too uncomfortable. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 says it like this. And this is the Word of God. Just the Word of God. And by this, we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Here it is. Like If you want to know that you're truly in Christ, there will be a habitual lifestyle of obedience to Him in your life. If you're here today and the reality is it's just rebellion, rebellion, disobedience, disobedience, I'd go back and check that conversion. People say, that's very unloving. No, it's the most loving thing you can do. Because if you're on your way to a godless hell, the last thing I want to do is stand back and watch you go. Aren't you glad they went and obeyed and corralled the donkey? What happens next? Well, here it is, verses 8 through 11. And many, here's a response as he is sauntering into town, right? And many, many, that's interesting. There's many, here's that word many again. Many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields, and those who went before, and those who followed, they're shouting, they're not whispering, they're shouting. What are they shouting, church? Hosanna! Literally, save us! 
That's what they're saying. Save us. Deliver us. But here's the problem. Here's the problem with their request. The crowd had a Peter moment. You ever have a Peter moment before? You know what a Peter moment is, don't you? Remember when Peter and his docile, shy personality... Remember when he pulled Jesus aside in the Scriptures? And the Bible says that he rebuked Jesus. I don't know about you, but if I'm standing next to Peter, I'm ducking, right? You're kind of like, okay... Peter, this is probably a really, really bad idea. This is like a bad idea. Don't rebuke Jesus. Peter's rebuking him. He said, you can't go do this. You can't go to the cross. You can't suffer. What does Jesus say to him? What does Jesus say? Oh, I'm sorry. That, that hurt your feelings. Do you, do you feel bad about yourself today, Peter? What did he say? This is from Scripture. He says, get behind me, Satan. Like, get behind me. Like, you're in my way. I got a mission. And you, Peter, yes, the Petrus, the rock, you're standing in my way. And what was the underbelly of Peter's defiance? Do you know? Well, the Bible tells us in the next few words from that text. Jesus looks at him and says, for you have in mind the things of men and not the things of God. Boy, if you want to watch your, your life and your family and your marriage and your business and your ball team and your church, if you want to watch those things implode, just pursue men and being a pleaser of man. It'll get you there. It'll get you there in a heartbeat. And here Jesus is, he's saying, Wait a minute, these people are chanting Hosanna, which is save us, but it's not spiritually. That they want to be freed from Roman tyranny. They want to have economic wealth and freedom and prosperity. And they've heard what Jesus is doing. He's out there doing some crazy miracles, right? And they're like, man, wait a minute, here he comes. Wait a minute, he's on a scooter, but at least he's coming. Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us, save us. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And then this is very interesting. Verse 11. Have I mentioned before that there's nothing moot in Scripture? Verse 11 is not filler. Look at this with me for a moment. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. So picture this. Here comes Jesus. Bethphage, Bethany. He's coming in. If you read Scripture, he's left Lazarus. He's left Mary and Martha. Uh, wait a minute. There, there's going to be a big problem here because the religious elite, they realize, wait a minute, all these people are following Jesus. And the Bible says in John's account of this narrative prior, the Bible says this, that, that people, that, that those people, those Pharisees and those evil, wicked people, those religious people, they were so furious at what Jesus had done with Lazarus. He brought him back from the dead that now people are going, wait a minute, maybe this Jesus is real. So guess what they want to do? They now scheme a plan to kill Lazarus. 
how spiritually insane do you have to be that you're trying to kill a guy who's already died once? Like, this is bizarro. Amen? This is bizarro is what this is. This is like nuts. That's what spiritual people who are walking in darkness, who are wearing sheep's costumes, this is the garbage they pull right here. They're focused on themselves and what they can get out of the deal with Jesus. By the way, I don't know if you picked up on this, but who else that you know in Scripture rode a donkey? Anyone come to mind? Yeah. How about his mom, Mary? (laughs) The way up is down. You win by losing, you live by dying. That's the Christian walk. Jesus, donkey. (laughs) But when you flip forward to Revelation, mm, Mm. Revelation 19, right? (laughs) Jesus goes down to the donkey dealership and he trades her in for a white horse in Revelation. And church, he's coming back. And if you're against him today, he's going to rule against you with a rod of iron. That's the reality. He's going to tread the wine press with his fury. And everyone who rejects Jesus, those who blatantly do it, and those even inside the church house, that it's all covert, here's what he's going to do. All of those people are going to stand guilty as charged. And once those people step into eternity, there is no turning back. None. There's no do-overs. See, what the truth does is the truth doesn't create division. The truth exposes the division that's already been there. That's why people hated Jesus. They hated this guy. And if you stand for Christ, they will hate you too. That's why key number two says it like this. When we encounter Jesus, our immediate response will be one of humility and worship if if we truly see Him for who He is and if we truly embrace who we really are without Him. Key number two, write it down. When we encounter Jesus, our immediate response will be one of humility and worship if we truly see Him for who He is and if we truly embrace who we really are without Him. Church, denial is a river in Egypt. That is true. But it's a horrible strategy for life. Let me just deny everything, blame everybody else. 
You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. I was thinking of Isaiah chapter 6. I love Isaiah 6. Read it later, the whole chapter. But it reminds me of what our response is when we have a posture of humility. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, and He was high and lifted up. Picture this with me, church. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim, and each one had six wings. With, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And, and one called to another, and we sang this this morning, holy, holy, holy. It's called the trihagion. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, not our glory, his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, here's my response, woe is me, for I am lost, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, we've seen the king. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth. He he touched the mouth. The, The mouth exudes what's in the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he touched my mouth. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. That right there, those eight verses, are a glorious response to a humble heart that truly sees who that person is looking at Christ and they truly understand who they are without Christ. When you encounter Christ, did you go, hey, that's cool. When you encounter Christ, you go, hey, stop. Stop, Jesus. Stop. What you got for me today? Is that what you do? Or you encounter Jesus, you say, how do you do that? Well, you open His Word. You open the living, breathing Word of God, and we just exalt the Word of God, and it's high and lifted up, and we just magnify the Word of God, and we joyfully submit under it, and we believe that it changes hearts, and it renews and repairs relationships, and it does the work only it can do, and and yes, it offends, and yes, it divides, but just because it offends and divides, we will never compromise the Word of God's. 
in a world that's begging for compromise, we will never compromise the Word of God. Luke chapter 5, under the same key number 2, verses 1 through 11, is just another glaring reminder of humility and the response. It says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, that's Jesus, to hear the word of God. You can pause there for a moment. I mean, that's a pastor's dream right there, isn't it? Man, they're just pressing in. They're like, they're like beating on the doors going, man, let us in. Man, we want to hear the message that will set us free. Well, we want to finally no longer be spiritually blind. We want to hear the words. It'll change us forever from the inside out. And the pressing in to Jesus. And he's standing there by the lake of Gennesaret. It's the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Interesting. No coincidence there. That's a God incidence. He asked him to put out a little farther from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, Master, we've toiled all night. We've toiled all night and have took or caught nothing. He's basically saying this, Jesus, we got a big bag of nothing when it comes to fish. But at your word, oh, it's good. There it is. There's a nugget right there. But at your word. But at your word. What, Jesus? You want us to go into town and, and take a donkey? Are you crazy? But at your word. That should be our motto, right? No, we seek the Lord. No, we pound on the door of heaven. And God doesn't always go, hey, A to B, B to C. Sometimes he goes A to Y. And he just takes us all around. And we don't understand what he's always doing. But we just go, at the end of the day, at your word. Just at your word. And I love this. But at your word. This is good. I will. But at your word, I will. But at your word, I will, Jesus. Well, our will, it's a beast, isn't it? Our will. It's the enemy of self. Me, myself, and I. Meology, the doctrine of me. And it roars daily in my life and yours. And we get to the point where we go, wait a minute, Jesus, I hear you. I hear you clearly, but at your word, I will. And you got to remember that there is Jesus on that, that most pivotal night in history, the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and there he is. And he, he says, disciples, come with me, come with me. And then he goes, hey, you three, Peter, James, and John, the inner three, he goes, you come with me even deeper because I got to go do some heavy lifting. I need to pursue the Father as I go towards the cross. I want to be in more intimacy with Him, and I need you three to hold my arms up in the battle. And you know the story. You know the story. Not once, not twice, but three times. They're spiritually asleep at the wheel. 
in the midst of them sleeping when they should have been standing with the Savior. There Jesus is. It says He goes a little farther and He's tormented and He's he's just in despair. He's, He's sweating drops of blood. And He cries out to the Father and He says, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, any other way, have this cup pass through me. And then he says these words, but nevertheless, not what I will. Those are the hardest words to say in the English language. But Jesus says, if you really want to come after me, you've got to deny yourself, number one. Take up your cross and, and follow me. And I don't believe that Jesus just took those three things and, and juggled those in the air and somehow deny yourself came out number one. No, he knows this in his hypostatic union, fully man, fully divine. He knows this without any doubt. He knows the hardest thing we will ever do is deny ourselves. It's the hardest thing. But he demands it if we're truly going to be one of His. Going back to Luke 5. Master, by the way, I always chuckle at this. What did Peter do for a profession, do you know? Not a trick question. Fisherman. What did Jesus do as His bivocational job? Carpenter. You got a guy with a hammer telling a professional fisherman how to fish. Go figure, amen? But master, we've toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. I love this, verse 6. And when they had done this, when they had obeyed, there it is, and when they had obeyed, what happened, church? They enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. But it gets even better. They signaled, hey, Over here, buddies, over here, help. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. you got to remember back in that day, they didn't take nets out into the deep. What they did was they had this massive net. Many of them were like a football field long. They would put a stake in the ground there on the beach. And in a big 180, if you will, semi-circle, they would, at night, when the fish are migrating towards the shore, they would try to scoop them up. And Jesus goes, I got a better idea. Uh, Here you are in Luke, and I need you to go get a, a donkey for me. I want you to launch out into the deep. Peter's like, he rationalized it. He made excuses, but at your word. And the obedience proved the blessing. That they went out into the deep, and now both boats, not one, but two boats are beginning to sink. Well, what does Peter do? Well, look at his response in the word, in the Bible in front of you on the screens. Look at this. This is amazing. But Simon Peter, verse 8 When he saw it, here's his response. You see the response? What'd he do? When he saw it, he goes, yeah, that was really nice. When he saw it, he said, yeah, but you know what? Uh, That's not really that big of a deal. Now, what'd he say? When he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. It's a sign of humility. And then he says these words, depart from me. 
Depart from me from a sinful man, O Lord. What he's saying is this, I don't have faith. My faith is so small, it's not even as big as a mustard seed. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And by the way, church, if you really want to see revival happen, yes, let's get astonished at what God's doing in our midst, but let's pause for a moment and let's just start being astonished at him, period. Just him, period. Here's an idea. All across America today, at this moment, here's what I would love to see happen. Like at this moment, all across America, let's turn off the AC in every church building or heat, depending if it's cold or hot. Remove all the padded seats. Everyone sits on the floor. Remove all the smoke machines. Uh, Remove anything else that's a creature comfort. And then let's see if Jesus really is enough. See, the problem is we get too astonished at what Jesus does and not astonished enough just at Jesus. You're enough, Jesus! What happens? For He and all who are with Him were astonished. And verse 10, And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. There it is. Don't be afraid. So many people are afraid. That's what's killing us right now all over our country. We have total insanity running the United States of America. You are either a man or a woman, a male or a female, and there is no ambiguity. That's just a work of of Satan is what it is. Did God really say? Did God really mean that? He was kidding. No, he wasn't. We're not doing anyone any favors by allowing them to continue in sin. It's just too easy to sweep things under a rug. You ever done that before? (laughs) Kind of sweep things under a rug. Like, I'm actually asking, ever done that? Like, like I have. Like, my wife's not looking, you know? That's kind of like, well, you know, I got some hair clippings. Well, back in the day I did at least, but had some hair clippings, you know, you kind of sweep them under, right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, but what do you do spiritually? Spiritually. I mean, you sweep them under the rug, right? And what happens, though? That there begins to have, like, a lump in the rug. And what happens when you start walking over a lump in a rug? You start tripping, and not the tripping you're thinking of, amen? I mean, you start tripping over, that's what happens spiritually. There are people, spiritually, that are tripping over all the lumps and rugs because we have spineless people who aren't willing to take a stand and do the right thing. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus said this. See, you know one of the problems right now? One of the problems right now is this, we will say we believe in Jesus, but if we're honest, we don't always believe him. Oh, we'll believe in him all day long, right? Woo, hands are going up, right? Woo, we love Jesus. But do you believe him? When he says, don't be afraid, take him at his word. He is with you. He will guide you. He will direct you. 
And that's exactly what's going on here with Peter. Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And then here, this, this one blows my mind. Ready? Verse 11 is just, bam. We're talking not a big red bow like on a bag. This is like a big red bow on one of those cars in those commercials around Christmas time. That's what this is. And when they had brought their boats to land, and when they had brought their livelihoods to land, they pushed it all in the middle of the beach is what they did. And they left everything. And they followed Jesus. Those are the kind of people I want to hang around with right there. Those are world changers. You go, well, yeah, but they, they doubted. Sure they doubted. But, but here's what happens, that, that in our flesh, and it's weak, and it is weak, and I struggled, you struggle, but as we continue to press forward to Jesus, as we continue to stumble forward and fail forward into Christ, we can be like those same disciples in Acts 17, 6, when they came to the house of Jason, and there at the house of Jason, they said, wait a minute, are these they who have turned the world upside down for Jesus? That's my prayer for me and my prayer for you. You do two funerals in one week, and I'll get you thinking. Here today and gone tomorrow. And how much time we waste on trivial pursuits when Jesus says, Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, he says, for my burden is easy. Well, I want to give you one final key. And this just kind of tags on to the end as we set up for Holy Week. Here's the final. Key number three. Am I part of the crowd that cheers for Jesus when he's going my way? But then I turn on Jesus when he's not going my way. Ask that very personally. Like, really ask that question. Am I part of the crowd that cheers for Jesus when he's going my way? but then I turn on Jesus when he's not going my way. Uh, you know, several thoughts hit me thinking of this key number three. Turning on Jesus is not necessarily announcing to all of your nine followers on social media that you're deconstructing your faith or apostating. I actually don't think that's what Satan wants you to do. He would rather you just stay in the church house and deconstruct and apostate. Because he knows the damage is going to spread like wildfire. The Bible says that it's while men slept that the enemy came and sowed the tares among the wheat, the tares, the injurious weed that looks like wheat. It's, it's damning, it's damaging, it, it does this damning work inside the church. The Bible says that, that the wolves in sheep's clothing, they creep in unnoticed. Jude says it, and First Peter says it, they creep in unnoticed. The creeps, the creepers, they creep in. And yet what we see going on actually in our culture today, that when the front door is not guarded, they won't creep in, they'll saunter in. 
They'll just saunter in the front door because they know that no one has the courage to confront them. It's high time. Because what's going to happen is in this holy week, you're going to learn of those estimated two million people that gathered in Jerusalem for that Passover that week. In just a few days, they went from Hosanna, Hosanna, to crucify Him, crucify Him. I get the arguments. Do we know that it was exactly the same exact people? We don't, but we can deduct through common reasoning that part of that same group who's shouting, save us, save us now. Oh, we thank you. Great, Jesus. You're going to free us from the Romans. And then when they found out, wait a minute, this kingdom's not of this earth. He's talking about some spiritual kingdom. Why do we want that? Give us Barabbas. Give us a criminal, a murderer. We don't want to be saved spiritually. Rebellion, rebellion, rebellion. And when you read 1 Samuel, it's not on the screen, but 1523, write it down. Here's what the Word of God says. It says, rebellion, defiance is as witchcraft. That's how seriously God takes disobedience. And here you got people who are cheering for Jesus. And then what happens? He doesn't go their way. And they turn on him. And they sink their knives into him. And they butcher him and execute him on a cruel Roman cross. It was once said, truth doesn't offend you. It offends the lie that's hiding out inside of you. It was once said that the truth doesn't offend you. It offends the lie that's hiding out inside of you. I mean, think about this. Think about Judas. Judas heard every one of Jesus' sermons. There he was listening to the Word. He was there. And yet what did he do? He betrayed the King of glory. Why? For his own selfish greed. The enemy itself took over in Judas' life. And he's willing to offer up the sinless lamb with what we call Judas's kiss. James 3.16, I've quoted this before, but if you're a serious student of God's Word, you will memorize James 3.16. And here's what it says. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. There it is. Like, there it is. If your home's a disaster, look at James 3.16. If your life's a disaster, look at James 3.16. Selfishness and jealousy are bedfellows, and they feed off one another. And what happens is when you stand for truth, like many of you know, that there are many of you today that are standing for truth, and you're taking a beating for it. It's par for the course. Wish I had better news. Just par for the course until we get to glory. Because that's what the enemy does. Just like he did to Jesus. Just like he took those Pharisees who were, were selfish and they were jealous and they wanted the acclaim and they wanted the applause and they couldn't take it. That they were losing their power and their control. It's all about power and control. The lust for power and control. And we see it so vividly here in the United States of America. Power and control. Just gotta have it. 
This lust. Got to have it. If someone takes it away from me, I'm going to make them pay. That's exactly what they did to Jesus. But when the truth is exposed, when you just exalt the Word of God, what it does is for the person who has a humble heart and their heart soft and tender, they won't be like that one who cheers and then jeers at Jesus, but they'll totally cheer for Him because He set them free. And those false accusations are actually just validation that you're on the right path. You've struck a nerve. You've struck a nerve. I find it interesting when I think of this verse. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 7, and it says this, Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down. They sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. There it is. That's what idolatry does. Just rising up to play, right? Gimmicks and games. Gimmicks and games. But here's a positive thought on this. Daniel chapter 3, 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Love those, right? It's like, man, what kind of moms did you have naming you that, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, I love this. This is boldness. This is, this is how all of us should be right here. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> We have no need to answer you in this matter. (laughs) No, we don't. Sorry, chief. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able. Do you believe that, church? Our God who we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you. I love the confidence. They're talking to the king. Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Oh, what would happen today across America if churches, if professed believers of Jesus Christ would rise up, not in a militant way, not in an ugly way or ungodly way, but just simply in a bold way to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve Jesus Well, how will you do that, though? I mean, truly, how will you do it? We'll write down these final verses. John chapter 21. And here it is. Here it is. John 21, 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, have you picked up on that Jesus is talking a lot to Peter? (laughs) Have you picked up on that? Simon Son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything you knew 
that I love you? Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. How do you feed and tend sheep? Any ideas? Take wild guesses here. Well, you feed them (laughs) and you protect them. And do you know how you feed sheep spiritually? There's only one way to feed sheep truly spiritually, and it's through the Word of God. My job is to feed you and to give you the Word of God. Will people attack that all day long? My job's not to impress people. My job's not to build my brand. I'm trying to build the brand of Jesus Christ. And right here, we get the formula for what church leaders are to do. We are not to make people feel good about themselves in sin. We are to feed the sheep with the living, breathing Word of God. The Pharisees and the Jews who hated Jesus, it wasn't like they drew off this cliff because they had too much of Jesus. The problem was they rejected Jesus. And my prayer for you today is that you become a self-feeder of the Word of God. Your life depends on this book. I've I've talked to people over the years, this is many years ago, and, and I'll say, hey, you know, you have a Bible. These are like churchgoers that have been there for eons. You have a Bible? Yeah, blah, 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 blah. And, and you're kind of like, you're like, well, where is it? Like, well, it's at home, and it's just one more thing to carry. To which I respond, it's the one thing that's going to carry you through life. Church, it's high time in this holy week that we get serious about the Lord. It's high time this Holy Week that we get serious about the Word of God. It's high time during this Holy Week that we get serious about obeying God. Because obedience to God brings His blessing. But disobedience brings the curse. Amen? Father, we come before You, and as we worship You on this day, Father, as we open up the altar to pray to Receive those who need to repent, who've been walking in darkness. To receive those who have never truly given their life to Christ. Lord, whatever you want us to do in this moment, may we be found faithful. God, don't allow us to disobey right now. There's going to be a heavy price to pay if we disobey right now. And so, Father, as You are speaking to my heart and every heart that's listening, may You simply find us obedient. To delay is to disobey. And so, Father, whatever You're calling us to do right now, find us faithful. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. 
Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.